0: You are listening to an eight-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled The Lord's Prayer. The invitation from God is not into religion, but a relationship. And like any relationship, communication is vital to its success. This series explores Jesus' response to His disciples' desire to learn to pray. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, we are uh, going to kick off a, a new series called The Lord's Prayer and uh it, it's fascinating, if you follow the public ministry of Jesus, there's really like three layers or three groups of people that he ministers to. There's the crowds, and the crowds are everywhere, and it's a, made up of a wide cross-section of society. You have the very poor and the very rich, you have different ethnic, uh, you have the... Do you have uh, the Gentiles, the Jews, and the Samaritans, and you have all this super, you have the 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 irreligious, and you have like the super, uber duper religious, and you have massive crowds following Jesus everywhere. Then you had this other inner circle, this 120 um, that took what he said a little more seriously were there around. And then you had this inner circle um, that we know as the disciples. This is the 12. Uh, and they were there for every meal. Uh, they were there for every teaching, every miracle. They saw it all. And what I find fascinating as I study this interaction between the disciples and Jesus is that um, they only ever asked him to teach, for him to teach them one thing, and that is they asked him to teach. Will you teach us to pray? I mean, of all the things he could have asked for, I mean, they never said, teach us to teach. And, I mean, he was like a master communicator. I mean, he would crush it on TED Talks. I mean, he was, he was amazing. And then, uh, but they never said, hey, will you teach us to teach? And, and he was a, a tremendous miracle. I mean, healing all different kinds of people, um, you know, turning water into, I mean, that would have been something like, hey, you know, it would be really helpful if you help. you know, if we could turn water into wine and we could have a little business. And like, but they never did that. They never said, teach us to do miracles. The only thing, they had a front row seat in the life of Jesus, and, and the only thing they ever said, will you teach us, It was to pray. They noted of all the things about his life that stood out, that seemed like, man, this is really it. They, they said, will you teach us to pray? And so we're going to take the next eight weeks to talk about uh, prayer, to, to go through what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to kind of let the secret out of the bag here. It's not just about learning how to pray, but the reality is what we're going to learn really is, is explore what it looks like uh, to be in a relationship with the Creator of God. Because if you're new to Christianity, the call of God isn't to enter into a religion, but it's to enter into a relationship. And Christians uh, like you and me, um, we, we may not have been all that great at, at demonstrating to people um, what that looks like. You know, we, we can do religious activities, we can go to church, we can give alms to the poor, we can assert our theological beliefs on everything, on Bumper stickers and coffee mugs and social media and all the sort. But like when people get close to us, do what they see that overshadows everything else is that, man, this person knows God. I mean, because that's the thing. Our, the assertion of the Christian is, isn't is that they know about God or they know how to get to heaven or whatever it is. The assertion of the Christian is that they experientially no God, but is that what people see when they come close to us? Now, the truth is, you and I—if um, you're a, a Christian anyway—you you know that that's true. But and you're frustrated uh, that it isn't maybe true about you, and um, you know, and especially when it comes to prayer, because I think we know we're supposed to pray. Like, I don't think anyone's shocked. It's not like if I came here and said, "Hey, you know, Christians are supposed to pray." You're like, "Really? I didn't know that." Like, so I think we know we are, but it's just the, the fact that we don't as much as we should. Is frustrating to us. And I think it's frustrating to the disciples. And that's why I think they said, Hey, can we get the inside track on this? Because when I do it, it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to work like when you do it. So we're going to take a deep dive in this thing called prayer. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us, we're going to go through eight weeks. The first thing he teaches us is that when we pray, we have to be ourselves. We cannot pretend. He says, when you pray, you must not be. Like the hypocrites. And that Greek word for hypocrite is a, is a theater word. It means to like be an actor. It, mean, it literally means to put on the mask. So so a hypocrite is someone who picks up the mask and then go pretends to be something. Hypocrites are those who put up a mask and pretend to be before God and others somebody that they're really not. And this is what's going on with them. Uh, these religious people, they were putting on a show. They were pretending to be somebody they're not. They're putting on a mask. It says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. It was all a big show. No affection for God, no desire to communicate with God. And by the way, um, the motivation here is what's key. Because some people read this and say, okay, I'm supposed to be, you know, the, the key to spiritual life is to go into a monastery and just get away from everyone so no one sees me uh, pray, no one ever sees me give. And and that wasn't his point. His point wasn't that you should never pray around other people. In fact, he's later when he when we'll learn this next week, he says, when you pray, pray our Father. Right? Like there's other people around. It's not pray my father. You don't usually say our when it's just you unless, you know, you need to go to the hospital. But the uh, we we pray our father, other people around. So he's saying like when you're around people, don't let the the don't let other people be the motivation why you put on this front. Don't make it a show. And so they would do that; they'd make it a show. Later on, you'll read about how they would fast, and they would they would fast regularly because they wanted to pretend that they were. spirit. The, so they would come in and like make themselves look really like they had a really tough week, and they they wouldn't put makeup; they'd put make down. And so they they would and they would just grimace and pain off in a corner, like oh, like just man, I've just been fasting, and you know and. I just love God so much, you know, how much do you love God? And, and they just like put on this show and Jesus is like, man, God's not into that. Like when you fast, like go take a shower, put some makeup on, like put some oil on your head, like look like you had a really good week. Don't come in here and look like you had a really bad week and put on this show. Because then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, they have received the reward, So he's saying like, hey, if if you're just, if you come in here and just do your religious thing just so people will think well of you, congratulations. You got your pat on your back. That's all you're going to get. I hope you soaked it in because that's all you're going to get. They have received their reward. Now this is huge for those of us because we, as human beings, we crave attention. We crave affection. And yet those, as friends, we, we fail each other all the time. Like we don't always notice and encourage and bless each other like we should. So for those of us who are, who, are, who are doing things and like, you know, you're, you're going to do stuff that people aren't going to notice. And um, you're going to think like, does anybody, God sees it. God will reward you. I don't know if people really appreciate me. I don't think they understand the lengths of what I go to. God sees it and God will reward you. That's what he says in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's reward for praying. Now, if some people push back, like, reward, I, you know, there should be, that's, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Rewards for praying? Well, Jesus thinks it's all right because he's the one who's saying there's rewards for praying. And if Jesus is handing out a reward, I flat out want that reward. And if you don't want yours, I'll take it. Like, I don't, like, you, we, he says there's rewards for this. And what is the reward? Well, the reward is him. The reward is him. He's the pearl of great price. He's the hidden treasure in the field. And it's this intimacy. It's this relationship. It's this thing that he's trying to call us into. Like this, this, is, this is what we're going after. So we're all, we're all reward motivated. We're all, we're all motivated by some reward. And those who pray just for the, the connection with God, who pray for the pleasure of, un, of being in that relationship, they receive a, a reward that's far bigger than anyone else, and that 's kind of what Moses was getting at in exodus thirty three if you remember that uh, God comes to Moses he says he says i 'm going to give you everything that you ever wanted i 'm going to give you the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey i 'm going to give you that, and not only that i 'm going to like drive out all your problems like i 'm going to drive out all your enemies. Um, and, the, and you don't even have to lift a finger. I'm going to send the angels out before you. They're going to solve all your problems, and you're going to get everything you ever wanted uh, in this promised land. But here's, but here's the catch. I won't be with you. And Moses is like, I don't want that deal. If you're not with me, I don't care about anything else. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you take that deal? If God came to you and, like, did a little whiteboard session with you, and said, okay, list every all your problems, like, everything you want to get rid of, A sickness, a pain, a suffering—you know. Now, I'll get rid of all that. Poof, it's gone, and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. I'll give you a land flowing with paychecks. I'll give you a land flowing with the spouse of your dreams. I'll give you a land flowing with, you know, your kids on honor. I'll give you everything that you ever wanted, except I won't be there. Would you take that deal? Now, if you're a Christian, you're like, we know the answer. We know what the right answer is. No, I won't take that deal. If I was Moses, I would want to be in God's presence too. So we know that we know what the right answer is, but here's my question. Do we perceive the right answer? Because you have that deal, by the way. You have the deal. God's saying, I, you, you can have my presence. I, I want you to be with me. I want to relate to you. Why is hypocrisy so prevalent? Why do we pretend? Why do we put on this show? I would say hypocrisy is probably the biggest temptation that faces humanity. And I think even more so for those of us who are Christians because we have these divided desires. We are, we're torn. Like we want what God wants and we want what we want. We want what God wants and we want what we want. And to complicate matters in a church setting, I really want you to think that I want what God wants and not what I want. So you're not helping me with this. So I got this problem. I got this divided desire already. Like I, I kind of want what I want. I kind of want what God wants. But what, what I really want is I don't want you to think that I want what I want. I want you to think that I want what God wants. So you're not helping me and I'm not helping you. And so what we do is we come into a situation like this just like those hypocrites. And we pretend to have something that we don't have. Well, how do we get out of this? Because this, this, this is so devastating. This Being in this kind of cycle is so devastating. Number There's two reasons for that. Number one, you'll hurt people. I mean, when you pretend to be, uh, when you pretend to be someone that you're not to other people, you'll you hurt them. It's a form of betrayal. But number two, you really hurt yourself because you'll never, ever, ever be able to genuinely receive love because you will either consciously or subconsciously, anytime someone shows you affection, you'll, you'll just think that they love the pretend you and not the real you. You' joking with that? Like you'll you'll just think, well they well they just love me because they think I'm this, and so you just have to keep putting up that front, keep putting up that front, keep putting up that front. Listen, it is a risk to be vulnerable with other people, but it is even a bigger risk to be fake. Because you because here's why your soul craves love. Like your car runs on gas, but your soul runs on love. And here 's the thing about you: you are an eternal, infinite being, and you have an infinite, eternal need for love, which means that you need an infinite source to give you that love. So what ends up happening is like when you get in this pretend game, because you 're pretending with God, you 're never really feeling like he 's loving you, so you 're not getting filled up, so you end up having to like get from finite beings this infinite source of love, and that 's why we smash each other. We crush each other we crush others they crush us and we just feel like so disappointed by other people it's because we're expecting something from them that we should never get and so what ends up happening as we as we're fake with god and then we end up being fake with other people is that they we just think that that god's loving the pretend me he doesn't actually love me he loves this pretend me he loves the religious me and everybody else loves the religious me and so I have to pretend even more, and there just becomes this greater distance. and when there's greater distance, I have to pretend even more, and this cycle just keeps going on and on and on, and people get on this train, and it's so hard to get off once you get started. And the longer you are on, the harder it is to get off. I know people who are caught up in this religious appearance, and it is a vicious cycle, and they'll have opportunities to get off, but they can't, because they just feel like they keep digging themselves and digging themselves and digging themselves. I want you to know that there's a better way. Just be real with God. You can be real with God. God is inviting you into an unedited relationship with Him. When, with God, you don't have to edit what you say. Are you checking with that? Like, it, here's the thing. The, the relationships you have where you have to edit, they're absolutely exhausting. Hey, how was your day? Oh, my day was good. How was your day? Oh, it was good. How, how's your job? Oh, it's good. How's your job? Oh, was good. And you're looking at each other like, okay, I can stand about 60 more seconds of this before I have to go home and take a nap. And so what we end up doing. We're like, "Hey, do you want to go to the, what? You know, like, hey, you want to go to community group?" What, what comes into your mind is, "Do I want to pick up that mask and pretend to be somebody that I'm not? Because I know that I to have to edit what's really going on with me, and that is exhausting." And then what you do is you edit in your relationship with God. So you, your prayer is like, well, "I don't, you know, I beseech thee, God, to bless these mashed potatoes." I hope that's okay to say that. Amen. I'll see you in a month. And so we don't really have this connection with him because we feel like we have to edit everything that we say. And the relationships where you have to edit are absolutely exhausting. And so you don't want to be around God and you don't really want to be around other people. And it just, it goes on and on and on and on. Here's the thing. Wouldn't it be amazing just to, be yourself with God. Like for God not to be this person that you have to edit that just feels right and comfortable. Like you're going home and sitting on that middle cushion on your couch. It just feels like that's the right place to be. And that's the way God is. Here's the thing. Whether you tell him or not, he knows everything anyway, right? Hebrews 4.13 says that that all is laid bare before the one whom we must give account. He knows it all. And guess what? The people around you, they're not going to be surprised either that you're not all that you put up to be. God is someone that we don't have to edit with, and we can be, we can be real with God, and that will lead us into being real with each other. I want to be a real person. I want to be out there. I don't want to project some image of something I'm really not, because that's exhausting to maintain. I don't want to be that way. And I'm really grateful to be a part of a church that doesn't require me to pretend. I don't have to, I don't have to, I can just be who myself. Now, I didn't ask you permission to be myself. I'm just who I am, saying what's on my heart. And I've got guys around me who I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend that my marriage is amazing when it's not. I don't have to pretend that, you know, oh God, how are you doing? Yeah, I just got done, you know, praying for an hour. What'd you do? Like, I don't have to I don't have to act like that. I could say, you know what, it's going really bad. Like, I feel frustrated sometimes in my marriage. I don't need help. I can be that way with God, and I can be that way with others. And it is a freeing place to be. And then he says, when you pray, do not heap phrases as the Gentiles, for they think they'll be heard in their many words. And so this is idea that I've got to stomp and scream and get God's attention, because his disposition toward me is, is like he has, He's like this frowning father he's perpetually upset with me. And he doesn't really want to pay attention to me. So I must, with my many repetitions, I got to say these prayers over and over, seven times, 10 times, over and over again, chanting before God to get his attention because I really don't think he cares about me. I really don't think he knows what's going on in my life. And when you think about that, I mean, that's not... I mean, if my kids came up to me and just like, hey, I need some chicken nuggets. I need some chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets. Enough. You're annoying me. Go, you know, ask your mom next time. And so, but th- this is kind of babbling on. But like my kid, I remember about 10 years ago with my oldest daughter, Ella, when she was three, I was teaching this little class in my my living room. And, and she just comes right in there. And she says, hey, shows me this little picture she drew. Now, anyone else does that. It's kind of rude and disrespectful. But that's really kind of how... It, intimate those kind of relationships are with a, a daughter. Is like, yeah, she, you can come. she can come anytime she wants and shows me this picture. And this relationship that God calls us to, it almost feels irreverent, but it's not because he wants to draw us in to something that is amazingly, amazingly intimate. So he says, don't go on with this babbling. Don't try to impress him. Because he says, says don't not be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. What is he saying here? He's saying that prayer is really about relational connection between you and God. When we pray, we think it's about request. But according to our father, it's about relationship. So he says, I don't, you don't need to tell me what you need because I already know what you need. This isn't about you inform. Oh, I didn't realize that that's what's going on. I didn't know that. He's like, I know what you need. I'm not, I'm not telling you to pray so you have to prove something to me. I'm asking you to pray because I want this relationship. I want, I want to draw in. I want intimacy. Any relationship, the foundation that, that makes it really hum is communication. And the only way this relationship going to be good is if we're communicating. If we're communicating. So he says, you know, we don't have to pray in a way to co- coerce God, to get his attention, Prayer, prayer, excuse me, prayer, prayer, prayer uh, flows uh, from this mindset that you know that God loves you and approves of you. When I was um, 21 years old in in 1996, I met Jay Leno. Um, I was out in L.A. with a friend and, you know, we got tickets to The Tonight Show. You guys know what that is, right? Okay, good. Um... It's Jay Leno. Um, he was the guy before Jimmy Fallon. That's who he is. And so he, so on, we got tickets to the show, and you wait in line. I don't know if you've ever done one of these things before, but you wait in line. And then like an hour before the show, they, they invite people in who have a, a ticket. So we went and sat. And so Jay Leno comes out on the stage, you know, 45 minutes or so before. And, you know, the people, he comes and he like, you know, he picks, he said, hey, you, come out here. Come up on the stage. So I come up on the stage, and he begins to interview me. He starts, you know, hey, you know, where are you from and, you know, what do you do? He made a bunch of really, I mean, quite honestly, a bunch of dumb jokes. And, uh, but people laughed because they, anyway, because they have that little thing that says laugh. And so people do it. And so I need one of those. And so we, uh, so I'm talking with him. So he just interviews me and just like, you know, like I'm some guest or whatever. And then, um, and then we're, we're off. And, and so I can, I can honestly say that I've met Jay Leno. I can also say that I've, 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 had a, I've talked to Jay Little. But that was 21 years ago. He has no influence over my emotions. He has no influence over my decisions. He doesn't have anything to do with my life. And here's what's unfortunate. There's some of us who've been Christians for a while, and our relationship with God is just like that. We met him once. We talked to him once, but he has no influence over our decisions, over our attitudes, over our emotions. We may have had some powerful encounter, but it's not a present-day reality. And the enemy of your soul is wanting to create this wedge between you and your Heavenly Father. And he puts this This thought that I have to edit this relationship that just drives that wedge, drives that wedge, drives that wedge. And I just believe that one of the things that God wants to do in your life this morning is that if that's true for you, he wants to invite you back. He wants to invite you off that train, that cycle where you feel like you have to edit with him and where you have to edit with other people because you don't want God to know what's really going on And you don't want others to know what's really going on. That is a vicious cycle that hurts other people. And it hurts you. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to gravel today. You don't have to say, oh, you're right. And then like, you just have to come back and run into his arms. And talk to him. Because he's longing to talk to you. That's why in in Revelation 3... 20, oftentimes that gets quoted as an invitation to receive the gospel. But actually, it's an invitation to Christians to come talk to him again. And that is, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in. He wants you to know that he's still knocking on your door. It may have been a while, but he's still knocking on your door. He wants wants to come in. And he wants to chat. He wants to hear how you've been. He wants to hear the bad parts and the good parts and everything in between. He wants this relationship.